Hello, everyone. This is Speaking Up with Andrew Pleasure, and I am so, so excited to have two guests on the show today, Jenny Olson and Laura Paget. So excited to interview them and hear their backgrounds and hear about the work that they are doing now. But before we get into y'all's stories, first, we'll start with you, Laura. Could you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your background? Yeah, thanks, Andrew. It is really exciting to be here with you today. Really appreciate the opportunity to come on and share share a little bit about our work and, mm-hmm. and our backgrounds and our stories. So, so like you said, my name is Laura, and I am currently working as a public policy project manager for a large online university. And I also work as an abuse recovery coach and a policy consultant with Safer Coaching and Consulting Services. I have a teenage daughter and two dogs that are aging and very special needs at the moment. (laughs) So, so that's always fun. I grew up in a really conservative Baptist church, identified with a lot of what you've said in in previous podcasts. So that's kind of where, what led us to reach out to you in the first place. Um, There was a lot that I was thankful for, but a lot that was really tricky to navigate. And um, there um, a lot of subtle and not so subtle undergirdings of teachings that, that got into, um, psyche and into my soul and it's been really hard to to navigate and and as we're deconstructing and reconstructing and all of those things uh going about that so so that's a that's like a really brief overview of of my background I do have a lot more that I can I can share as we go through it yeah thank you so much for giving me that overview and sorry for all that you've been through and yeah we'll we'll definitely dig into your story and Jenny's in this episode, but Jenny, for people who don't know you, could you introduce yourself and then tell us a little bit about your background? Uh, yeah, uh, I am uh, have been an educator for over 20 years and worked in public schools, and I'm also now a domestic violence advocate and co-founder of Safer Coaching and Consulting Services with Laura. I am a solo mom of two kiddos. And I'm a French teacher, so I love French and music and TV dramas. But as far as my background goes, I am a PK, right? So my dad is pastor. Um, and we, I grew up in various Baptist churches. We weren't stuck in one necessarily denomination. And actually, um, I'm fairly lucky as a PK to only have been in three churches growing up. Um, but different levels of... Um, severity in their conservativeness (laughs) and you know eventually that that leads me to end up in an abusive marriage and um have to untangle all of those tricky teachings from my childhood Mm, yeah thank you so much for sharing that and yeah, it's been eye-opening to me as I've been on my deconstruction journey to see how these patterns of abuse creates all these other systems of abuse and power and control. And I don't know if y'all saw the Shiny Happy People documentary. Yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. That you was just, just... how, like, mm-hmm. just how adjacent it was to everything that we grew up with, mm-hmm. right? Yes, most definitely. And I think what was incredible is that I think you didn't have to grow up in the IBLP right. or Gothard because it was just, they as showed in the documentary, they spread it to all these churches across the U.S. And now I'm just, I'm so thankful for people like y'all who are doing this recovery coaching because I think a lot of people don't know how to help right. people who survived abuse in these like toxic religious and even cultic environments and so could y'all tell me a little bit about your coaching business called safer and really like like how y'all met how it got started and I don't know if y'all want one to go first or the other or kind of like talk together however y'all want to do that yeah, we can, I think we can, you know, we can certainly tag team this a little bit. So Jenny and I met in college in a, in a fairly conservative Christian college. Again, at the time it was, it was actually pretty liberal and the church that I grew up in wasn't really um, happy with me going there because it wasn't, it wasn't a conservative Baptist related college. And so, but you know, as conservative as it was, it did, it did tend to broaden our horizons. It, it made it made me really see Christianity in a broader, in a broader scope that there was more than this just little slice that I had grown up with. Um, 
as and as we have been navigating our own difficult relationships and in the church and um Jenny, Jenny had then proceeded to get herself some domestic violence advocacy training. And I, and I went into some professional coaching training for myself. And as we studied and learned about all this intersectionality, like you had talked about, like, as you, the more you learn about abuse, the more you uncover these layers of all the different marginalized communities, the different levels of abuse of power and dynamics. And when you learn about not just women, but, you know, the broader communities that this affects and it's, I just feel like my, my eyeglass prescription is getting clearer and clearer all the time. And it's so hard to not see these things. And then it's, and then it's also really hard when you see people that don't see them yet and you kind of want to scream and shake them, but then that's like, that's not how, that's not, that's not helpful. (laughs) So, so as we studied and we learned and, um, we wanted to, we wanted to do something more. And so that's where Safer came about. Yeah, we were actually, we're so blessed to have been friends. Oh, there I go using those Christian words. Sorry. Um, I tried <laughs> so okay. hard to undo that. It's, so <laughs> it's hard. hard. Anyway, it's so hard. I'm so very happy and grateful that Laura and I have remained friends and have been able to support each other through our difficult seasons. And we were actually on vacation with our families. And I was talking about my domestic violence training and Laura had already received her coaching training. And she's like, I think we can do something with this. And within a few months, um, we started safer right? Um, Our goal is to empower abuse survivors to detangle the destructive chaos in their lives and overcome the obstacles that toxic relationships and beliefs bring. So our primary work is with women who are rebuilding their lives in the aftermath of toxic relationships. Um, We're just, you know, trying to fill in gaps that we saw when we needed help and they, there was no one. So, you know, we're trying to fill in those gaps. And so SAFER is an acronym. So we are trying to empower women to build their strength, affirmation, freedom, equality, and resiliency. I love it. I love it so, so much. And when did y'all start it? I'm curious, like how long y'all been doing this? Yeah, we started in October of 2021. So not very long. We've been at it, you know, not quite two years yet. And, um, and so we're, you know, we're, we're slowly building and, Mm -hmm. um, and we're really working hard to take care of ourselves through this because it's a lot of really hard work. And so there are times that we're able to be really engaged and really, you know, really engaged and really like posting and speaking a lot and those kinds of things. And then other times we're just have to like, you know, we have to take a little bit of a step back and, and rest and, and care for ourselves in, in that way. Cause as we've, as we've noticed, and we keep on un- uncovering all of these things that so many women in our culture and especially in evangelical churches have really been trained to be submissive and to downplay our own needs. And so that's really important for us that we take care of ourselves and recognize our needs as well as helping our clients as they, Cause a lot of times we don't even know what we need or what we want or how to move forward. And so that's a big thing that we can do is help, help come alongside women to be able to identify their needs and their own values and, and make their plans and their steps forward based on their personalized, individualized needs. And not like, and not like what some broader organization or institution is telling them, even, even our own coaching business. Like we don't have a, we don't have a set plan or a program that we want people to go through. We'd want to come alongside them and help them identify their own path forward. Mm, I love that so much because I know, and I've come in contact at times with coaches who have an agenda, who have a certain theology that they, a conclusion that they want people to come to. But I think a core part of recovering from that abuse is learning to get to know yourself. Like I remember when I first went to a therapist, you know, straight out of fundamentalism, I was expecting this person unrealistically to just give me the answers. And this person's like, you have to find that within yourself. You have to claim your autonomy, find your individuality. And it was just really, and he's like, Andrew, he's like, you're, you know, you're taking fundamentalism and you're, you know, you're bringing it into this. And it was like, you know, I was just out of it. And I was like, oh, I'm like, that's right. And I'm like, after that, I was like, please call me out every single time (laughs) if I do that, because I want to stop that. And it can, it's so hard. It's so, so hard. And so, and I think what fundamentalism provides, it provides many things, but I think certainty 
and all these answers for you that you don't really have to think. Just don't question, submit, obey, pray, follow the formula. But the Mm -hmm. problem is, is that for a lot of people, it it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. And I know there are people who are still in that environment who will preach at you and tell you that it does work and that you just didn't believe enough, you didn't trust enough, or, oh, you weren't really a real or true Christian. It's just so, it's so annoying. so painful. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, and what I'm thankful about all these, you know, documentaries are coming out is showing, and, and, you know, I hate to use the Bible, but I think it's useful in this situation. But like, and I I remember this verse, it's like, and you will know them by their fruit. Exactly. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we're seeing the fruit of fundamentalism and it's rotten and it's rotten and all these extremely conservative evangelical places too, where, and really what, as I've been trying to see the broader picture, this abusive theology is interpreted through a lens of power and control. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why I'm so, so glad that there are people like you out there who are helping people recover from that abuse of power and control. Yeah. And so for Laura, for your background, could you explain mm-hmm. your experience in public advocacy and I think also cross-cultural ministry and how that yeah. influences the work you do with Safer? Sure, sure. So so these are these are two kind of different different spheres of influence, but very, you know, but also very meaningful in the way that I look at things and the way that I conduct myself in my life. Um, one of the the things that happened to me in cross cultural ministry is that the um, the organization that I worked with was fairly uh, controlling, very. Um, I would say abusive leadership at the time. And so my husband and I were newlyweds had only been married for about a year when we decided to pack up and move overseas to uh, a small country in West Africa, Sierra Leone, which was just recovering from a horrible civil war. It was very, it was a really rough time. And, and to come inside, come alongside some leadership that just wasn't supportive of, you know, one minute they would be very, very kind and very loving and you're the best ever. And then the next minute you're, you're caustic and abrasive and like the, like the scum of the earth. And so there was just like, it was very confusing. It was very hard to navigate. And so my husband and I, we actually left early. We, we ended our contract um, early and, and, re- and came home to the United States and, and restarted, <laughs> kind of started over again here. But um, when you talk about public policy and legislative advocacy, so I went back and once we returned home, I went back into that career field because that's kind of where I had uh, kind of where I had started. But public policy and legislative work is all about revising policies and laws to make things better, to serve people better. And so I I love that 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 mindset, that framework around we don't have to necessarily fit ourselves into this thing that we've been handed this, you know, this system or these, um, whatever, whatever's in place, like we have the ability, we may not have like full power to do that, but we have the ability to influence it to affect change. And maybe we're not rewriting legislation and laws through what Jenny and I are doing, but we are engaged in the process. We're pushing the conversation forward. We want to take this passion, this passion that I have for legislative advocacy to, to, um, not just accept what is, but embrace what could be, and then take steps in that direction. And so, and so those are the kinds of things that, that this background has been a lot of experience around, even in Sierra Leone, there's, there's so much government corruption and abuse of power. You can't, I mean, I go and I see my friends there and it's just so, it's so much more evident to me there than it is here. Even here, it's much more subtle. These, these, um, these abuses of power that we see and the corruption that we have here is very um, more under the radar there. It's pretty, it's pretty in your face. You can't, you don't have to look far to see it. Sexual abuse, domestic violence is probably close to hundred percent of women are dealing with something along those lines. And um, there's just really, it's just really evident. And so taking all of this experience and, and, and bringing it forward into safer is, um, you know, I, I think that it gives me a really unique perspective and, and a valuable way to work with people moving forward. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing that. And it sounds like with your work in that area, you have to have this mindset that is open to change. 
really mm-hmm. willing to yeah. accept the gray areas and not become dogmatic like this is because i think that's what stops a lot of change in the government it's like well this is the way we've always done it so let's just yeah. continue it and you know and people always say that like saying like if it ain't broke don't fix it and it's like well it's clearly broken so yes it does need fixing <laughs> so sorry not sure it's what like your idea exactly. of broken is <laughs> but <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of hard work to recognize those things though Andrew mm-hmm. our brains yeah. are so programmed to want to yes like we don't want to believe the hard thing and we don't want to work to fix the hard thing so mm-hmm. So exactly. I think that's part of what you know Jenny and I have done a lot of hard work mm. in recognizing those things for ourselves and yes. being willing to like to push past that comfort of mm-hmm. what yeah. is what we see or what the surface level is and be like wait a minute <laughs> this is actually not okay and how are we going to move forward with that yeah yeah well thank you so much for sharing that and Jenny for you could you tell us a bit about your background as an educator and really how it helped you in your work um, with domestic violence advocacy and also abuse recovery and safer. So um, I've worked at what's labeled inner city schools. It doesn't feel inner city to me. I mean, it's not a giant city. Um, they're just kids to me. Um, but it, I was always a school where somebody would say, oh, you work there? And I'm like, yeah, it's just kids, right? And a lot of times fundamentalism tries to demonize um, public schools, especially because I don't teach the little ones, right? I teach the teenagers and they were always just so shocked like that I was doing this. But the thing is, is they don't want you to be exposed to other ways of thinking, right? And so it didn't take me very long to see these are just kids, right? And, you know, as it took a few years before most kids could be brave enough to come out and things like that. Um, publicly in schools when I first started and I'm just like these are just people why why were we so afraid of them okay and so it's so so important as an educator to be an effective educator to just accept students where they are to be a safe place for them um, that to understand that their mental health is what's most important right and also an important aspect of being an educator is understanding that people will do something if they can Right. And so my job as an educator is to figure out what are those barriers? What's stopping them from doing what they need to be able to do? Right. And working with them, I've always worked to empower students to find their voice. Um, and the thing is, though, that's the thing. I want it to be their voice, right? I, Laura and I are not trying to come in and be the voice of survivors. We are trying to empower them to use their own voice, to realize that they are worthy you know, their church probably told them that they don't have any rights and that they don't deserve anything, right? But they are worthy, their voice matters. Um, And so we can't do the hard work, just like I can't do the hard work for my students, but I can be there as a support and as encouragement. I love opportunities um, to talk about um, red flags and relationships in school um, whenever they just naturally come up because kids are gonna talk. And because honestly, we have a quote Um, that is kind of like our mantra from um, Desmond Tutu when he says we need to stop just pulling people out of the river we need to go upstream and find out why they're falling in right and so yes we are here to help those who are falling in in their recovery process but we also care deeply about educating so that less people (laughs) stop falling in right fewer people Um, and so being a public school teacher definitely lends itself to that. And so it's just, it's very, very easy to trans, to transform, transition those, those skills into supporting women with the same ideas. And the thing about the work that we do though, too, is that just like me, I didn't know I was being abused in my marriage, right? So we're talking about domestic violence. I, because I only got hit a few times, right? I I didn't feel like real domestic violence, right? And not understanding what um, emotional abuse is and spiritual abuse and um, psychological abuse and all those things, because there's no teaching on that in church. I mean, heaven forbid, we would disrupt the 
natural order, I'm using quotation marks, um, of, of God's design, right? And so those things can't be talked about, which is just ridiculous. And so we just really feel uh, um, called and equipped because of our experiences and what we've gone through to be able to work towards changing that. Um, because the thing is, is we can't all be completely informed on every topic, right? It's super easy maybe to feel overwhelmed with everything that's wrong in fundamentalism, in the world, right? And everything. But what I do know is the passion that I have and the experiences that I have. And so I feel grateful to be able to share what I am passionate about with others so that we can make a change together. Mm, wow. Thank you so much for saying that. It was just so, so inspirational. And it's just, it's so empowering to hear someone else use what they've gone through to help um, other people. And I loved how you were talking about people using their voices because this is what this show is all about. Yes, Speaking yes. up with yep. Andrew Pletcher. And I think that was a great point that the Shiny Happy People documentary stated in the very end was like, we were the thing they were most afraid of. And all we had to do was talk. And that was so, so powerful, so powerful. And like, that's why I created this podcast to give people a platform to share their experiences because to empower more and more people to come forward instead of suffering in silence. So I'm so, so happy with the work that you y'all are doing, the passion behind it, the open-mindedness, the training that you have and experience um, with it. But now that we've kind of dug into your organization and your like training for that, I really want to dig into both of y'all's stories. And so I'm going to start with Laura. So Laura, could you share a bit about your personal experiences with toxicity and religion and your own experience with um, abuse and how that's influenced the work that you do today? Yeah. Yeah. So this is where we get into the, like the scary vulnerable part of the conversation, mm -hmm. right? Like, yeah. so it's, yeah, like I said at the at the beginning, I grew up in a really conservative Baptist church in a in a rural area. And so very isolated, very, you know, naturally just because of the location, the geographic location. I didn't have a lot of friends around. Uh, my family was pretty isolated. And also my younger sister was really ill with leukemia from the time she was 18 months old. And so my family was dealing with a lot of just turmoil throughout that process. And so the the big thing that that's sticks out to me from those early years. There was just a lot of fear, super fear-based faith. I was terrified of dying, of going to hell, of the tribulation. I remember laying in bed at night, just being like panic attacks at like these loud noises that sounded sort of like trumpets sounding in the distance or something where I was just like, like I would have total panics, total meltdowns, just like shaking in bed, like scared to death and praying nightly almost that Jesus, if you didn't, if you haven't saved me yet, please save me now. And so just thinking about that more recently, thinking, well, wow, that's really traumatic for a little kid, five, six years old, how old I was at the time, just being like, just being completely terrified of these things. And so, and so there was just, you know, that was one big thing that <laughs> like stands out. And then um, it was also really restrictive. Women weren't allowed to lead. There were, there were groups of, of different families had different, different um, kinds of rules around how they engage things. But there were families that I knew that weren't, didn't allow their girls to wear pants at all. And so they were always in, in some, some kind of skirts or um, you know, controlling of, of clothing and, and, and makeup and all of those things, regardless that there was a statement that you said earlier about like, um, sure if it's exactly this, but something about you're probably not saved if you're fill in the blank. I heard that so many times growing up and it was even around things about like daily prayer or just smaller things where you're like, if you're not doing this, you, you might not be a Christian. We had this concept of a eternal security, but I never felt safe and secure. I never felt that. I always felt like I was, I was not measuring up that I was you know, that I was missing the mark somehow, that there was never this, this peace that passed all understanding. Cause I was just like, I don't feel peace. I don't understand what this whole relationship quote unquote with Jesus means. Like, how do you even, how do you enter into that? Apparently I prayed a, pr a prayer when I was really young and I got saved, but I don't know 
really what that means to me practically. Another aspect of, of what I grew up with was like really heavily um, influenced by purity culture teachings, kind of this abstinence-based education, which left me really vulnerable to like not really understanding a lot about sex, about like how things, how things worked in relationships. Um, again, it was a really fear-based teaching where I was afraid of, of men, afraid of boys, afraid of, didn't know how to navigate these situations. And then, and then at 17, when this, when this church boy who went to a different church, but was still, you know, a Christian young man, can't kind of like express an interest in me. I was like, I didn't really know how to navigate this. So I ended up dating this young man for quite a while and he pushed past so many boundaries. And the language that I have around it now is that he assaulted me. He sexually assaulted me. And I had PTSD attacks and panic issues all through college. And I thought it was my own sin. Um, and so I, I even went to counseling and I addressed it as a sin issue and all of these things. And, and nobody ever called it assault. Nobody ever asked if it was consensual. Nobody knew. I mean, I didn't even know what, because I had allowed it. I thought I had consented to it. And so, and so these kinds of teachings, these kinds of things that are just so harmful that harmed me personally, that I am, you know, that I want to fight back against for the next generation. When I see these purity types of teachings seeping into our youth groups and our different things, I want to, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not the one to, <laughs> to sit back and, and um, not say something about these things. So um, we've talked already a little bit about the Christian college experience and that Jenny and I had together and, and moving off to Sierra Leone as newlyweds. And then when, when I returned, when my husband and I returned from Sierra Leone, he, he kind of turned to alcohol for some things. And, um, you know, I didn't really have a lot of exposure around uh, issues of alcohol or what was like an acceptable, we didn't drink at all growing up. So I'd, I'm like, I don't even know we got in trouble. I think I got in trouble in college for like drinking the Shabbat wine, like the, the Sabbath wine at one point. So like not a lot of alcohol. So I just didn't really know what was like, what was an acceptable amount, what wasn't. And so we just kind of muddled through this for a few years. And, um, where I was like, there were times where I was troubled, but I wasn't really sure it was like problem drinking at that point. And then we entered into an adoption process and brought home our lovely daughter from the Congo. And less than a year after that, um, we were in like full blown crisis in our house with, with my husband's drinking. He had, he would go on week long benders and just be like, just be gone. He would leave us for weeks at a time, basically just in the basement drinking heavily. And I didn't know how to navigate it. I didn't know who to turn to. I didn't know how to, how to manage this. I had this, this child who was pretty new to our family, less than a year. I mean, she was probably five or six, but also like less than a year with us. So really new to, to all of this. And for every three months, I felt like we were having this huge crisis in our family where he would be in and out of rehab or inpatient hospitalization situations. Um, we were separated for a while. It was just a really, really horrible time to know how to deal with that. Um, church was also really hard. I felt like I couldn't be completely authentic with my struggle I, I was also dealing with some pretty significant health issues at the time. I had really severe endometriosis and some related conditions. And so I was going through, <laughs> like, I went through two major surgeries while my husband is going through all of these things with his alcoholism and, um, you know, just feeling lost in my pain again. And it was so, it harkened back so much to those early years where we just felt lost and lonely and not really sure how to move forward. So I'm in a place now where I'm like, I can't just put on that mask anymore and pretend to conform. Um, like, and the more I, I learn about these things, the more I'm like, I'm not willing to, to do that. And so like, when you think about um, turning that into, into where we are professionally right now, taking these feelings of, of being lost and alone and completely hopeless, um, and finding help and finding professional help, whether you're navigating the mental health system or looking for a therapist or how to like deal with your faith community. I didn't know what to do. And I didn't feel like some of the things that I had, had reached out to were really helpful. And so that's part of what, you know, Jenny talked about filling in, in gaps where, where I wasn't able to find what I needed. Um, 
And so we also want to want to provide that training to help others find hope and support and to take those steps forward based on their personal values, not my values, not anybody else's values, but their own values and, um, and being able to find their own voice. Like we said, like speaking out for themselves and finding, like finding my own voice, finding what I need for me has been a huge process and a lifelong journey. And I, I just love the idea of a lot of things that have been helpful to me are things that I like to offer to clients too, like where we have group support and we have, I have a certification in therapeutic arts coaching. I'm not an art therapist. I can't do that, but I have therapeutic arts um, coaching training. I do mind body wellness and some mindfulness visualizations and things that, that I have found really like amazingly supportive through me, for me in my journey and my healing process. And so, so these are all things that that I have like pulled from my, my history and, and my own story that, that we bring to our clients and that I bring, hopefully bring to people who just interact with me on a daily basis. Cause we don't, um, we don't always like, it's not, we're, we're not all about just recruiting people to pay us money for coaching. It's, it's about building a, a safe community where people can heal. And that's, you know, if we have that impact on one person, all of, all of what we're doing is, has been, has been well worth it. Mm, wow so so powerful and oh I'm so sorry for all that you've been through and I'm so so glad that you're on your healing journey and helping other people and have grown so much and are really like turning your your pain into purpose like I think that is so so powerful but yeah thank you, thank you of course thank you so yeah. much for all that and oh wow I just again like this podcast is all about speaking up because um, the more people we c that can speak up because there are people that you know you might see and you have no idea what they're going through and when and like you said yeah. you had those feelings of being so alone and I think there when you finally meet the other person or even you know, whether it's you know in person or online and there's that feeling of like connection of like understanding, because I think in these environments, we were never seen, we were never really heard, we were never understood. It was like you said, all about that conformity that was put above everything else, conform, obey the system. If you don't do these things, then it's your fault. And so a lot of us have been having to be like, well, this, your system is messed up. There are a lot of harmful things in it, and we're not going to be silent. We're not going to submit to your authority, even though they would threaten us so much about <laughs> the consequences of that. But yeah, I'm so, so thankful for, oh gosh, the work you're doing now and just the empowerment of that. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's really empowering to be able to yeah. to speak it out yeah, yeah. and mm -hmm. just say you know like it's like the like learning to trust myself again to trust my own guts and how that I move forward in my own life has just been it's been remarkable like I do have I there are things that I like and that I want and that I need and that I'm allowed to have those things and to express my own feelings and I don't have to just like you know shy away from from my own self in order to be okay in the world. And that's, and that's a huge gift. It's a huge mm -hmm. gift to me. And that I hope mm -hmm. to others around me too, because freedom, freedom is, is, is freeing to others. I think it's yeah. the more that, that we ourselves can become free that mm -hmm. it becomes can... so contagious, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yes. And so Jenny, could you tell us a little bit about your personal experience with toxicity and religion and the abuse that you experience and how that affects the work that you do today. Yeah, so um, like I said, um, PK, and actually at the time, I thought I had a great childhood, right? It, it, it's all I knew. Church was our entire life. I had leadership qualities that you know, youth leaders and youth pastors saw and acknowledged and mentored in me. So it wasn't then until I started realizing though, like they're helping me develop my leadership skills, but there's no place for me to take these. Right. And so that's when it first, that was the first little niggling, right. 
because of all the all the restrictions on what on what women could do like women could even be greeters at the door you know um shaking people's hands in my church okay so like and like laura said earlier like when going to taylor and realizing oh other people believe slightly different things and consider themselves to be christians too like and so slowly starting to to open my eyes to that um as part of my studies i needed to um, study in france for a while um, which is just of course shocks everyone <laughs> because you're you know you're breaking out and you're going to this godless catholic country and you know and they drink all the wine and everybody was just like crazy i remember i <laughs> took a train from paris to australia Austria, 17 hour train by myself, but I couldn't tell my parents um, because they would have like freaked out. <laughs> but I was like, I'm here and I want to go see this stuff. And um, it was just such a huge learning and growth. But coming back then was super traumatic. Like I became this new person and I didn't fit anymore. Right. And um, I started learning more about my family. Okay. Both of my parents come from large families. My dad's one of seven. My mom's one of five. And my mom and dad had met at a Baptist church. <laughs> Their families grew up together. And so everybody's interconnected. And I started finding out things that had been kept secret from us, right? About what this uncle does to this aunt and what this person did to this person and you know their sexual abuse that i'm finding about out about and again it starts it starts cracking right like you said this is what we need to do to be safe right if we follow the rules this is what's supposed to keep us safe and i'm finding out that all of these secrets are, are happening behind closed doors, okay? And so moving forward, I was determined to be more honest, right? Like with all that help, withheld for me as a kid, I was determined with my kids that I was not gonna be that way, right? That, you know, abuse is able to flourish when it stays in the dark. And so I was determined to talk, to be more vocal, but it's complicated, right? people in your family have kept these secrets for years and you don't want to you know the ones who were actually harmed um and then chose to keep the secret it's just it's not my story to tell in so many ways and so it was it was just it was just really complicated so after college i started going to a really large church for our area for the singles group right i wanted to um you know to get to know other people i did not get my mrs at college like most good christian girls are supposed to right and so um i you know i joined the leadership there they had a little bit more flexibility with women but they still women were not allowed to be like pastors or even even ushers no 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 women ushers but i was thoroughly invested in this church okay and this church was not a baptist church but that's part of why like things like the the documentary show that it doesn't necessarily, it's not laid to one group, right? Because all of these toxic teachings continued, right? Um, one that has been super, super harmful to me is the idea of worm theology, right? That we are worth nothing, right? Apart from Jesus. And just, it's just so toxic. It makes you feel selfish to want to have any rights. You have to forgive, right? Instantly, there's no nuance about the difference between forgiveness and reconciliation, which again is complicated from my extended family history, right? And still being exposed to people who had made very, very poor choices. Divorce was not an option, right? Just not an option because you will ruin your children, right? That is, that is the unpardonable sin. And what that did, by all those teachings growing up is set me up perfectly to be abused by a manipulator. And, you know, everybody can say, oh, but it didn't for me. I'm just saying, like, I am a normal, Christian, confident woman, and I got fooled. And those belief systems definitely played into that, right? If I had been better trained on how to look for red flags and to be able to stand up for my own soul, right? Um, it would have been different. It just, it took me so long to realize um, I knew something wasn't right, right? 
and just things kept happening over and over. And I knew I wasn't happy and I knew I was living on eggshells, but it just took really years to, to realize Laura at the time, her and her husband were going through difficulties and they, they are together. Her husband has is sober. Um, and you know, so we're not saying one way or the other has to go, but her walking through and being open about what she was going through. And she said one thing to me one time, she's like, listen, Jenny, you, you do what you need to do. But if, if it were me, I want you to throw all of his shit out on the yard and change the locks. Okay. And I probably didn't leave for two more years, but people saying things like that helps crack the door open right? When you are just so thoroughly convinced that divorce is not an option, right? I tried therapists, biblical counselors. Oh my word, the biblical counselors do so much damage, right? One, we're talking about um, an addiction that he has. And um, she's like, let's, let's see what we can brainstorm about how to entice him back into the bedroom. Like, now I have the words for that being victim blaming, right? But this is the person who supposedly knows the Bible who is supposed to be helping me. Um, she also would just be so shocked. Like she would be like, okay, study Ephesians this week and then we'll talk about it when you get back. And I would come back and she would like, okay, what did you learn? And I would list off, like, I am a student. I mean, you basically get a Bible minor in college at a Christian college, right? Like I study the Bible. I can tell you what Ephesians says. What I can't tell you is why I am miserable, right? Why I am suffocating and my soul is dying because these things are not working, right? Um, And so long story short, I finally get divorced and then comes the kicker, the church that I've been going to for 18 years, I'm persona non grata. And it kind of goes back, I think, to what Laura was saying, like people just don't want to face the hard right? I even had a leader say to me, like, well, you don't know where other people are in their marriage. And if you talk about your struggles, then you might inspire them to break up their marriage too. And I'm just like, what the hell? (laughs) Like, give me a break. Like somebody sharing their own story and their own grief. And I'm figuring out how abusive it was and what emotional abuse is and all these things. Um, And yeah, I just, I got, I got dropped in churches. um, it's called, you know, I'm sure people have talked about it before that second wound is almost worse. Like I had figured out that my husband did not love me and that I had moved on from that. Okay. But these people who I had, we did life together. It wasn't just like sit in the pews, right? Like our entire social life was wrapped up in these people. And, you know, I'm bringing people food when they have babies and we're helping with each other's garage sales and, you know, having ladies nights and all these things. And not a single one of them could be there for me when I desperately, desperately needed him, needed them. But then the hits didn't stop, unfortunately. A year after our divorce, then I find out um, that my ex had a criminal background So um, I can't get too specific because I, you know, I still have children who are underage. He was never charged. So it was criminal behavior, but he was never charged. And so then mama bear mode has to kick it, right? I have to protect my kids. And so I am able to finagle supervised visitation for them. And I am so very, very lucky that I was able to do that because the court systems are hellacious. So, um, I'm very, very, I just, I, yeah, I'm very, very lucky that they are safe, right? But what it does though is, okay, once I'm finally coming out of this and I'm seeing the abuse and I open my eyes to what's happening in abuse and I'm realizing how scripture has been twisted and, you know, used against people. And I start realizing, oh my gosh, I have been doing that to other people too, right? I, you know, I went back and, made some apologies to um, LBGTQ friends and they were so, so gracious to me because I didn't, I didn't deserve it. Um, But um, it just, you, once you see it, once you see how the scripture is twisted, you, I just, I couldn't unsee it. And, you know, since then I've tried different churches, but I can't, I, I, everything is triggering. It's, I just can't. So instead 
I'm working on rebuilding my community and spiritual practices in ways that are healthy for me. Like my beliefs about Christianity are kind of in flux right now. And you were saying earlier about how that fundamentalism gives you that certainty. And that's hard. It's really hard to let go of that. But I'm so grateful. It, it, it was hard to walk through, but to be, I'm okay with where I am. And I know other people are worried about my soul um, and my family, but I am okay with where I am. What was taught to me doesn't, doesn't work, breeds abuse. Um, and so that's what I bring to, to clients and to consulting. Um, much of abuse happens within relationship. And so then we want to, you know, um, isolate ourselves to protect our, but the truth is, is healing comes through relationship and being able to trust people again. And it's, I'm an introvert by nature, right? Um, And so uh, that's why online spaces are amazing. Like that's, I have an amazing, beautiful community there. And um, I don't feel like I need to be in a building anymore because I have community where I can develop my spirituality in other places, right? Because um, the the church teachings are just going to trigger me, and that's not helpful. Um, I just feel like so many people, you know, we it, we accept um, women in support groups even who haven't gone through toxic relationships because if they want to be an ally, that's what we want to equip to, like how to learn to be present, right? How to sit in grief with someone right? How to practically help them. Um, learn, learn how to listen, learn how to believe. I mean, cause that's, I mean, when we're not believed, the, the toll is just so, 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 so high. And so, um, you know, it's been tough, tough, um, few years and, you know, my kids are still young and it's a lot <laughs> to raise two kids, um, completely, um, But I know that it's better for them to have one healthy and safe parent um, than to be toxicity that we were before. Mm, Wow. Thank you so much for being so vulnerable and sharing your journey and really of your courage in overcoming that. And it's just, it's so, so devastating when the people that you thought were going to be there for you, that like you said, people you did life with suddenly weren't there and people trying to silence you because your story didn't match the outcome of what they thought their teachings were going to do for people. And it's something I've seen time and time again that has happened in high control religion or in cults. And it's part of Lifton's criteria for thought reform. He has eight criteria. And one of them is dogma over the person. The teachings and the dogma are always put over individual safety or their own experiences. It's defended over everything else. And it's just so tragic because in that environment, you cannot question the teachings and you right. not allowed to examine the results of the teachings. And again, this whole victim blaming thing that happens like the second wound, the re-traumatization of the person who went through that. And it's just, it's so, so like, and again, it's like, like I said, it's re-traumatizing to just basically be like shunned and kicked out of this community because they took, like it was your whole world. They took care of so many of your needs. Like you had your community, you had your purpose there. Right. And sometimes like in like friends and stuff. So it's just, it's really hard to navigate that. And plus with all the other things that you were dealing with, with your ex and having to be a single mom, making a living, taking care of them. Oh, it's a lot. So I'm so, so grateful that you were able to overcome all of that and come out on the other side and like being okay with not having to have the answers and like not having to force yourself to come to certain conclusions and it was it's always been so frustrating to me and and I know I realize when these people do this they're like they have eternity in their mind but 
um to me this all of this focus on eternity 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 has caused so much harm and what we know is real that here and now exactly. in our lives and so and that's what was so frustrating to me is a uh, like really no none of my family members like after I told my story when I had been through no one reached out or showed that they really cared it was just like gone which you know I was fine I was fine with that because I'm not in contact with most of my relatives anyways um but it was all about their belief system they're so they're worshiping these rules and these teachings and it's about time that these people actually legitimately start loving people that's another thing they twist the word love That's which we could talk a whole episode yes. about how they twist love. Um, but yeah, I'm so, so grateful for the work that y'all are both doing. Y'all have both been to hell and back and have come out with like love and light on the other side. And so it's so awesome to see that. And to see people continuing to speak up and bring awareness. But for people who are interested in connecting with y'all, how can they connect with you and your in your organization? Sure. So the easiest way to connect with us is we have a, a website. It's Safer CCS, which is just Safer Coaching and Consulting Services um, acronym um, dot com. <laughs> And, and there's also, you can search for us on, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Safer CCS. And we love to connect with people. Feel Please feel welcome to, to reach out. There's a contact form on the website or through direct messenger on, on any of the other platforms. Um, we'd really love to, to chat with, with people if there are others that are dealing with anything that that we talked about that resonated with you don't hesitate to reach out we have free resources we have low cost resources we're happy to happy to try to to help navigate things for people all right awesome and i'll be sure to link all of your socials and your website and the show notes for people listening please check out their work and support them but yeah thank y'all again so much for coming on the podcast sharing about your organization and sharing about y'all's experiences and how it influenced the work that you do today thank you thank Thank you you so much of course all right and for everyone listening this was speaking up with andrew pledger